0: This week we talked to Dr. Andrew Aldrin and Lee Wilson to find out all about Aldrin Art Space, a new initiative from the Aldrin Family Foundation.
1: Yeah, what they are doing there is something really close to our hearts, so we are thrilled to have them with us to tell us more.
0: If you have a favorite piece of space art, we'd love to see it. Please send them over to us at Space and Things One on Twitter and at Space and Things Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Or if you have any other thoughts, just get in touch. You can contact us via our
1: website, spaceandthingspodcast.com. But right now, please enjoy episode 79 of the Space and Things Podcast. You're listening to Space
0: and Things with Dave Giles and Emily Carney.
1: I'm Emily Carney and I'm Dave Giles and welcome to episode 79 of our podcast when we recorded last Tuesday I ended by mentioning that the political situation was obviously not great but I did not foresee what was about to happen at all it's been a strange week that's for sure
0: yeah it's been pretty challenging it's not been a fun week that's for sure and yeah it's tough because I think both of us have sort of gone back and forth you know at Okay, how are we going to present this? This is like really one of the first cataclysmic things that's happened, you know, since we've started this show. Mm -hmm. So obviously we're going to report on it uh, during this show and we're uh, angling to handle it correctly given all that's happening. Just a heads up, but we will discuss that a little later in the show and how it will affect aerospace.
1: We'll do our best, uh, that's for sure. Anyway, on to this week's feature, which we hope is something a little bit more positive. And to quote the mission statement of the Aldrin Family Foundation, it was set up to cultivate the next generation of space leaders, entrepreneurs, and explorers who will extend human habitation beyond the Earth to the Moon and Mars by inspiring students in the areas of science, Technology, the Arts and Mathematics. Last year, they set up Aldrin Art Space, uh, with the aim to be the go-to art global gallery for space-inspired art, with the proceeds being split with the artists and the Aldrin Family Foundation. Aldrin Art Space includes a special Aldrin space range commissioned by the Foundation, an artist space collection that features established contemporary artists, and a donor space reserved for the Foundation donors, which features highly collectible space memorabilia and special artworks commissioned exclusively for the Foundation.
0: And so today we speak to Dr. Andrew Aldrin, who uh, is a uh, space professor in his own right, and he is the son of Apollo 11 astronaut Buzz Aldrin, and he is also the president and CEO of the Foundation. And we're also joined by Lee Wilson, who is Aldrin Art Space's number one lead artist. Uh, He joined us from Kennedy Space Center Visitors Complex, which is a first for us so there might be some background noise from people exploring one of our favorite places. Anyway, on with the interview. And from every window we have a really spectacular view of the Earth as well as the, uh, what surprised me, the real, real
1: blackness of space. I don't think I've ever seen black as it is out here. So, welcome to Dr. Andrew Aldrin and Lee Wilson. Thanks for joining us. Just to get the ball rolling here, Dr. Aldrin, uh, can you tell us a bit about the Aldrin Family Foundation and how Aldrin Art Space has come out of that?
2: Sure. First thing first, thing, don't call me Dr. Aldrin.
1: I'm never <laughs> sure with these things. I, I never I never want to not use someone's title. You know, there's always, know. someone I will know. always be annoyed. So uh...
2: It's like when somebody calls me Andrew John Aldrin. My mother used to call me that. Right?
1: <laughs> anyway. I'm the same. When I get called David, I know exactly what you mean. Only my mum calls me that. All
2: right, so David, tell me again, repeat the question. I just, I was so flummoxed by the title.
1: So, Andrew, can you tell us a little bit about the Audrin Family Foundation and how Audrin Art Space came out of that?
2: Yeah, so I mean, I'll try and give you the short version of, of how the foundation started. But So going back five, ten years ago, almost, my dad's always had a passion for it educating children, using space to educate children, and he didn't really know what to do with it. So he would go out and talk to kids and particularly in underserved areas, the kids would get really excited and that was great. And and so we thought we would, um, the family would create a foundation to do this. And so we hired a, a director and he'd go out with kids and they'd jump around and have a great time <laughs> and then nothing would happen. And then we actually came across the these maps of, of Africa at National Geographic, and Dad said we got to have one of these of Mars because my Dad has always been a Martian, a hardcore Martian, and so and so we did. And he'd go to these schools, and the director would roll this thing out, and kids would jump around on the map and have a great time, and, and that was great. But and and we were sending maps out to I don't know 100 schools or so a year, but we were really weren't getting traction. And then we started getting serious about education. So we actually hired um, the guy at the visitor complexly who who designed the ATX Center, the Mars Habitat, Educational Habitat, and Astronaut Training Center. And so Jim is now our education director. And we've really kind of recentered the foundation to the concept of how can we bring the excitement of space? And, And there's no doubt about it kids get excited about two things, space and dinosaurs, and they get over dinosaurs. They don't get (laughs) over space. But we wanted to take space from being just sort of an exciting thing you do after school and at the visitor complex and places like that. We wanted to bring it into the classroom and make it part of the curriculum. So for the last few years, with some interruption from, from COVID, we've been working with teachers in some of the major districts in the country to bring it into the classroom to write curricula that's tailored to meet their standards, using space, our maps. We've got other product, other programs that we've developed, and, and we're having some success. We are, we're now bringing programs into three of the 10 largest districts in the country. And so, yeah, that's the short story of what we're doing, but it's really about bringing space into the classroom. And one of the things about space is we've always kind of about the foundation is we've always kind of had an element of outreach to it. And mm. nothing kind of captures the magic of space like art. And so my dear friend, Sophie Williams, came up with a concept of Aldrin Art Space. And it's beautiful. And we've just come across some great artists like Lee. And, you know, we're just kind of launching this program now. But I'm, I'm really super excited about the potential for Space and art coming together and exciting people, but mostly exciting kids and bringing them into the classroom.
1: Absolutely.
0: Tell us how art is increasingly becoming more integrated into the uh, space community and why this is important for the next generations of uh, students. Okay, I'm assuming that's for me.
2: I hope so.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. well, you know, I've noticed this trend happening over the last decade or so, uh, maybe even starting before that. Of this trend of moving from STEM education to STEAM education, adding the art component. I think that's taking more traction. I think ShareSpace has been a big part of that. I think they've given it a lot of credibility. Um, And so I think that's going to continue. I kind of discovered my own path to it through what happened with my artwork. I've only been doing what I call science-based art. Uh, which is mainly toward astronomy, planetary science, and things like that. Before that, I, I did a lot of um, tropical and beach stuff. So I, I paint my passion. So it's space and the beach, you know, tropical. So, But one of the things I think of when I think of steam is the scene in Apollo 13 when they poured all of this stuff out onto the table and had these engineers <laughs> say, we've got to get these back, these guys back home. We've got to take the carbon dioxide out of the air. How do we do it? And that's creative problem solving. And you've got to learn to think outside the box. Uh, Yes, you need math, you need science, but you also need creativity. Mm -hmm. And I think art, when you embed that into the sciences, it makes it more in context. I had worked on a project in Tennessee when I was living near the Nashville area with um, an organization for the community college there. And they had a program called the Case Files. And they had a National Science Foundation grant for it. And this was like 2003, 2004 timeframe. Time and they hired me as a designer, but what we did was we created these materials for an intro to engineering class. And it was problem-based case studies. And pe- they put people in teams and they gave them this problem. There was no necessarily correct way to solve it. And each of these teams tackled this problem on their own. But we had visual effects. We had diagrams and all kinds of things to set up and little video clips of the context of of the problem. And by adding these visual elements in there, I think that made the project, it was actually quite successful. And National Science Foundation was very pleased with the way it worked out. And so that was like 2003, 2004 timeframe. And I think we've come a long way since then. So I think the arts are here to stay uh, in terms of STEM careers.
1: Yeah, that's fascinating. And actually, I'd never really considered art being about problem solving, but I guess it really is as well.
2: I mean, the important thing that Lee brings up is it's about creativity and art is all about creativity. And in addition to um, running the foundation and, and dealing with with kids and the foundation is mostly K through 12. I'm also a university professor and I teach a space studies program. And one of the things that I've noticed about engineers is they are problem they are looking for answers. And sometimes what's really important is asking the right question. Because if you've got the wrong question, you're just going to come up with a widget that doesn't actually make any sense. And I, you know, one of the things that I teach is space entrepreneurship. And I can't tell you how many great ideas are out there without anybody that's really ne- that needs it or is going to buy it. And we are horrible about that in the space community. And that's really sort of the, the classic example of one hand clapping. Yeah. And so actually teaching creativity, teaching them about what's the real vision behind it, what's the question. It's kind of where art comes into it. And so I think it's a great combination. And, and one of the things I want to add to what, what Lee is saying about, about problem solving is, you know, we've got curricula that we develop and we do all these kinds of cool things. And but when you put kids and teachers on Mars and you tell them this isn't a trip, you're going to be there for a decade. All of a sudden, everything you do on Earth. You have to figure out how to do on Mars, and so you can take anything and make it exciting. And we've had teachers doing incredible things. You know, when they have the freedom to actually get out of get a little bit outside of of sort of the very you know we talk about curricula, but they're cut and dried curricula. But when teachers do amazing things with students, it, it's just fantastic. We had a bunch of fourth graders in a really really underserved school district actually come up with colonies on mars and create a trading regime fourth graders on mars i wow. mean it was just fantastic they picked places on mars to to build a settlement and that they were going to they were going to be there because they could find water or they could find life or there are other resources and they just figured out a way to trade absolutely incredible and and these students we actually did a study afterwards and against national science standards, they improved by 56% over the course of one semester. So that was pretty cool.
1: Wow. Those uh, results speak for themselves. Just a little bit left field here. Did the 50th anniversary of the moon landings help in any way to inspire uh, children these days? Or has the 50th anniversary just really been for people like Emily and me?
2: (laughs) You know, that's a really good question. It's kind of hard to disentangle it. I think initially it did. I mean, there's a tremendous amount of enthusiasm but we were barely done with the 50th and we got whacked upside the head by COVID. Yeah, so it was kind of hard to see that translate into, you know, real programs. I'll tell you that, you know, for the foundation, obviously, the 50th anniversary was a huge deal. And we were very excited about it. And we had lots of programs that were coming online, you know, that coming year because of the 50th and some of the attention we got. So, I, you know, if you took COVID away, I'm sure it would have. But COVID kind of melted everything. Yeah. I think that that's one of the reasons
3: why Aldrin Art Space has kind of stepped in to fill the gap, because it can be done online remotely. You know, eventually, I think we've talked about adding some physical spaces and physical events and things like that. But, you know, we didn't, COVID did not stop Aldrin Art Space. So that was a good thing.
1: For sure. Uh, And so with Aldrin Art Space, my understanding is that there are three tracks for art in the program. There's commissioned art, art by established artists, and art from donors. So what kind of artists can we expect to see as part of this project?
2: We're always out there looking, and Sophia is is constantly bringing in new people. Um, We've got some incredible artists already. I've noticed that Michael Najjar, who is a a photographer who does sort of processing of space pictures, mostly of space people building space things and things like that, is getting... um, a lot of coverage in the press these days, and I just I've seen a couple of pictures that he's taken. SpaceX let him have sort of free run of their rocket range, and so we're looking forward to some really incredible art. Um, I did meet uh, an artist in in the UK, just sort of by absolute. I'll say it was serendipity, but I think she kind of hunted me down, <laughs> and and she's doing some some really cool, very abstract stuff that, frankly, is over my head. Some of it, but I, it's really compelling work. Very big. So, um, yeah, Sophie's got stuff that's coming in all of the time. We're really, this is, you know, just, as I said, really kind of getting launched. So we're really excited about some of the different artists we're bringing in. I do have one
3: thing I want to mention about um, the artwork uh, that's in the donor space. If you go to the, the Aldrin Art Space website, the third track, which is the donor space, that is a special place that we put some special artwork that is a little out of the ordinary and also maybe not necessarily something that the average person would buy just because of the cost, but, you know, institutional companies, aerospace companies and, and museums, places like that. And one of the pieces that's in there is based on ShareSpace's Mars map. And what I did was I used the NASA image, a slightly different projection than they used the one for share space. And I created that color elevation map of Mars from that information and then i located all of the uh, nasa landers slash rovers that have landed on mars from viking one to perseverance and placed a martian meteorite fragment in each of the locations and the title of the painting is called robots of mars nice and right now as far as we know mars is the only planet Inhabited entirely by robots. Um, hopefully, we'll be able to fix that in the next few years. <laughs> but yes, that is a uh, cyber planet we have right now. But that particular painting, the value changes. But, but Martian meteorites are not cheap, and uh, I believe the uh, my meteorite vendor has those certified. I think we've got about $6,000 worth of Martian material in that painting. So we are hoping that a company that's in aerospace that has the means to buy this painting will definitely want it and have pieces of Mars
1: uh, there where people can look at them and see them up close. Or if someone wants to buy it for me, I'll build a new studio and have that as a centerpiece. That'd be great.
0: (laughs) So we've discussed several pieces of art um, on space and things. Uh, that have either gone to or or returned from the space environment. We talked to uh people at, uh, a couple weeks ago who just sent something up on Cygnus. Uh, they sent a mini art gallery. We've also talked to Nicole Stott who did a watercolor in space. So, do you guys have any plans to um to fly art in space or perhaps auction any flown pieces?
2: I do. Oh, well, there's it's yeah, there's kind of an interesting story that when when my dad flew, they took a few envelopes with them and each of the astronauts signed them and they so these envelopes went to the moon and my wife and I donated all of ours to the foundation and so the foundation has been finding the right way to use this for fundraising and recently just before Jeff Bezos flew literally i think 3 or 4 days before he flew i was talking with someone that was doing work with blue and we kind of kicked around this idea so wouldn't it be cool if we took one of these envelopes that flew to the moon and flew it on the first commercial space flight and we did we flew four of them and so the foundation will find the right person who wants to support that and we think you know those will be at at some point I think in the not too distant future we'll find a way to auction those off as and to do this in the right way to support space education and we think we can do some really incredible things but it is kind of a, um, a really interesting slice of history of something which you know flew on the first flight to the moon and then the first commercial mission into space so um yeah that's that's something that's out there and it was just you know absolute serendipity that we kind of had that opportunity wow and um that's you know cool. after the after the flight jeff was walking around with these things and i'm not sure to <laughs> this day he really even knew what he was holding in his hand because <laughs> wow. it's probably the coolest thing that he flew oh,
3: that's, that's very really cool, cool. So I have a related onto that uh, because when Andrew mentioned about this material has been to the moon, I I didn't think about that until just now, but a lot of the artwork I create, there's a a piece called Six Giant Leaps. It's in the um, artist space of Aldrin Art Space. I made a series of six original paintings based on the lunar surface and placed a lunar meteorite fragment in each of the locations of the Apollo landings. Wow. And uh, I allocated three of those paintings to Aldern Art Space. And we've actually already sold one. I can't say who it's to, but to someone pretty interesting. I think that we will find out more about that later. But basically, these paintings have flown in space. (laughs) At least some of the material that is in there. But they got here on their own. Nothing came from NASA. So it's all certified lunar material. But one of the things that's great about this kind of artwork is that when I'm exhibiting it, I can t- talk about it in front of people. And, and and they say, well, how did you get these lunar meteorite pieces? Did you steal them from NASA? Did you buy them somewhere? You know, how did you get these? And so I get the opportunity then to explain in the beginnings of our solar system, you know, with, there was a lot of bombardment between our moon and the other planets and our planets and the Mars, mostly the inner rocky planets. But when a large meteor hit the moon who knows how long ago several billion years it was big enough that it blew ma- lunar material up into space and eventually some of those pieces found their way to earth so places like north africa and the antarctica the tundra areas would be able to find these pieces and due to knowing the composition of lunar material from from the apollo program we were able to you know certify and say this is this material came from the moon And so people like, they, you know, they just get excited about that. And I'll usually keep a meteorite fragment in my pocket when I talk about my work. And so once I explain these, I'll take this piece in my hand and I'll say, who wants to hold a piece of the moon? And of course, everybody holds up their hand. And I pick the youngest person in the group and I put it in their hand. And as I say that, I say, this is the oldest object you will ever hold in your hand. And then talk about the age of our solar system and how we don't have material that old on the surface of our planet right now and things like that. So you can just see their heads explode and they can physically touch a piece of the moon and the arts connecting to this. And then also I can explain science concepts like how we get meteorites. And it's really neat to be able to see the excitement in their faces when something lights up like that. And that actually it, it kind of got me addicted to doing science-based art because even though I'm not, I don't have a degree in science, uh, computer graphics back in 1983, but I was able to communicate science through my artwork. And I, I think that, um, I think that Alden Space can do that too, because a lot of their pieces, you can call them conversation pieces, but you can use them as a jumping off point to explain something about Apollo 11 landing site, for example. You know, there's pieces of art from Aldern Art Space that focus in just on that landing site. And you can talk about, you know, what happened when we landed. And so these things can be great uh, from anywhere from just conversation pieces to being able to talk about things like the Doppler effect and how when you're looking at the stars, you're looking back in time. There's just numerous ways to introduce science concepts through artwork. And I, I definitely think that Aldern Art Space is doing that through the work that we have in our collection right now.
2: You know, you you mentioned the um, the lunar site. I actually purchased one of these, one of the um, sculptures, which is a wall hanging of the site of the first place where they landed, which is really kind of astonishingly boring, which is kind of what you want if you're landing on the moon for the first time. You want a really boring place. Of course, they managed to make it exciting because there's a bunch of rocks there. But, you know, one of the things we did was cast a table of, of a crater that was named the Collins Crater. And, and it's much more dramatic visually, but for me, emotionally, it's really, it, it's very important because from the times of my childhood, Mike Collins was always one of my real genuine heroes. And I loved Mike. I love his family still. And, and we're, we're all very sad to see him pass. But I think, you know, it's kind of a, a wonderful homage to Mike to have this table. And so to me, that's a particularly meaningful piece.
0: Okay, let me try to choke back the tears here. Uh, (laughs) Mike was like, everybody's here. I Gosh, I miss that guy a lot. So I'm a former educator, and when I was teaching, I saw that a lot of younger students were really excited about space and the sciences, but as they grew older, a lot of them lost that interest. Do you think that art might be the gateway to keeping that interest alive for students who maybe aren't as mathematically inclined, who... Or who don't really have interest in, you know, what we would see as more typical, you know, space jobs like engineering or or the sciences or something like that?
3: Well, the first thing that came to mind when you mentioned that was something Carl Sagan said, uh, was that all children are born scientists. And uh, through whatever educational system they go through, over time, the wonder of science kind of gets extracted. Unless they're kids that excel in that area and they kind of buck the system and become enthusiasts anyway. I think that art can play a part, especially in in the elementary grades uh, and in junior high, actually, that's probably one of the most challenging times to be in school. And um, that's a transitionary period. A lot of kids are kind of deciding what they want to do for a living and things like that. And I think that integrating art more into the curriculum, into the science curriculum will help young people retain that science curiosity and the wonder of the universe. And I think that it's it's just going to take a little bit more effort on our part to uh, to make that more aware about the value of the arts and the science.
2: Art is about communication and, and articulating something which is very passionate and creative. And the most important thing that students can learn, whether they're in first grade or whether they're graduate students, is how to communicate and how to communicate visually, how to communicate verbally. And whether it's spoken art, written art, art on a canvas, art and sculptures, it's all part of communication. And and space is a compelling subject. So that is an important way of getting kids thinking about communicating. The other thread I wanted to pull on Is that this is not my father's space program today? It is something which is really, really different. And so we're talking about things like commercial space. We're talking about developing industry and economy on the moon. And so kids that are in school today are gonna have the opportunity to work on the moon, not as astronauts. Maybe they're gonna be repairing um, robots, they're gonna be baristas. On the moon. Oh, wow! <laughs> One of the most interesting, probably not the largest part of what I see is the lunar economy is going to be tourism, and tourism is all about inspiration and art. And so, I mean, can you imagine? Uh, I was just working with a, a a student who's an architect, and she is designing a habitat on the moon, and and part of it is you got to do all the industrial stuff where people can be shielded from radiation. But at the same time you have to have a place for tourists to go and so think about this there are spots on the moon where if let's just say imagine sort of a, a little a ridge a peak and on one side of it at, on the pole of the moon one side is a crater which is the coldest spot in the in the in the solar system on the other side you've got a view of the earth permanently on the dark side of facing the crater, you would have the clearest, most brilliant view of the stars that you could ever possibly imagine, right? You're out there. And so there is a room on the moon that will be built that in on one side, you'll have a domed restaurant, if you will, looking at the earth. On the other side, you would have a domed restaurant looking at the universe and if that isn't art, I just don't know what it is. And that's just like a kind of a little sliver of the things that, that make space in general, and maybe the moon in particular, such an exciting place to go back to.
0: That beats anything Disney has. That sounds amazing. <laughs>
2: that would be the ultimate Disney ride. Would be the most expensive one, too. On
0: I suspect it would be a little more expensive than the new moon restaurant at a, or the space restaurant at a have cut and probably backed up for reservation yeah, can
1: i get a reservation now
0: <laughs> yeah no problem i don't have a business
2: but i'm sure one of my students is gonna maybe this architect will go off and do it i don't
0: know that would That's be amazing. awesome oh my god sign
1: me up so obviously you've already mentioned some wonderful pieces of art that you've you've got as part of uh Aldrian art space i'm wondering have you got any else you can tell us about any other bits of art that you can tell us about or is part of the funnel all this that we just don't know what's going to happen next
3: um, well I'll, I'll do a little bit of this and then uh, Andrew can can add on to it but um, I've got a planner sketchpad full of ideas of things that I where I want to go from here in terms of doing the science-based art and the moon and Mars play a big part of that because they're they're a part of our next level human experience and uh, people are connected to those two places right now and so I'm going to be doing some more of that in the future.
2: We have some artists that are really connecting people to space and their artwork. I mentioned Michael Najjar and and Michael is doing, as I said, some really incredible sort of derived photography work. Uh, We have another artist, Michael Jackson, who's doing a photographic series about women in space. And so, I mean, there are incredible character studies which is what much of art is really about that, that are out there. You know, I, I also, when we're speaking about people, I also want to give a shout out to Nicole Stott. Nicole has been a great friend and I think actually introduced us to Lee. Coincidentally, Nicole's husband is a very dear friend of mine, Chris Stott. Oh, cool. Going cool. back literally decades, more decades than any, either of us would like to admit. Um, <laughs> I had hair then. If you want. <laughs> Not no. that you can see it on the podcast, but I don't have it now. Anyway, Chris and Nicole have been have been dear friends and and very supportive and and there are several other organizations that are bringing space and art together, and I think it, it's really it's really exciting. I said uh, another organization that I'm on the board of Space for Humanity, which is um, a foundation which is sending great communicators into space. Their concept is you find wonderfully diverse and unusual people and send them to space and then have them articulate their experience. So that's very exciting. And Space for Humanity is also promoting the space arts as well. So there's there's a lot of stuff going on out
3: there. I'm so glad you mentioned Nicole. Uh, yeah, because if it, if it hadn't been for her, I would not be involved with Aldrin Art Space right now. So she, she recommended me. And uh, it's really hard to think about art and space in the same sentence without thinking of Nicole, because she is a wonderful artist and uh, has this creative mind, um, along with her ability to <laughs> to be engineering and, 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 and um, fly in space. Yeah, she's uh,
1: she's quite incredible,
0: is Nicole. We, uh, we had her on the podcast a little while back. Anyway, I think Emily's got one more question. Are there any future projects or events that you'd like to discuss or promote, either for the Aldrin Family Foundation or Aldrin Art Space? Let, let's talk about it.
3: Well, actually, something that we've been talking about, so Sophie and I have been talking about creating a physical exhibition space uh, for, the, for the artist in the collection and being able to do events and exhibitions and educational programs. Um, and so as of today, I've officially moved to Cocoa, Florida. So I am now... Okay a resident of the space coast. And so I, I've offered uh, any assistance uh, necessary to be able to set something up over here, either at the KSC, you know, or, or you know, Titusville, Cocoa, Cocoa Beach, anywhere in, the, in the, this area, I think, because this is the Mecca. I mean, we have other places we launch into space, but Kennedy Space Center has, has been and probably always will be the leader in space exploration and uh, and launches. And so I think um, having something like that with Aldrin Art Space here in this area, I think would be fantastic.
2: I, I I think there are tremendous possibilities and we've always been on wonderful terms with the visitor complex. Uh, I think it's a great location for something like that. You know, we have a lot of things at, at the foundation, educational things that are gonna be coming out in the very near future,
0: but it, it has
2: more to do with with really sort of hardcore educational programs. But as I mentioned, we're really excited that we're working with, actually, I think it's now four of the largest districts in the country, and we've got some very large programs that'll be rolling out in the near future. Uh, Really, really excited about getting into new programs that involve actually building space hardware. I mean, do you realize there that we have programs, I won't tell you where, that will have kids building satellites, CubeSats, to fly into space. You know, If that's not an exciting thing. And it's not just about building the satellite. It's about using the satellite as a vehicle for education and learning about earth science, learning about communications and learning about teamwork. And then you build a satellite somewhere along the way. And I think we've got other programs that are are more about putting data gathering devices in space. So literally thousands, if not millions of kids can participate in having their own sensors. In space flying mm. like satellites. So a lot of really, really exciting things. We're, um, yeah, just tremendous, tremendously excited about some of those things we're doing.
0: Excellent. That sounds awesome.
1: Yeah, uh-huh. it does sound sound very special. Well, thank you for giving up your time and, and, and talking with us today. It's been a real pleasure and we wish you all the best uh with the future. And if there's anything coming up, please let us know and we'll be sure to let our listeners know.
2: Actually, Dave, I, I do want to say something because I forgot to mention Sunderland.
1: Oh, and, go for it. Um,
2: and, Eggles Cliff. We had a, a just a, a, a really interesting set of interactions. And, and in many ways, Eggles Cliff helped build the inspiration of developing satellites in space. Eggles Cliff is a, a small school. What how would I put it? It's about half an hour south of Sunderland and wonderful school. And actually, one of the reasons we got connected there was they have their homerooms are named after astronauts. And one of their they they talked to me and I I gave a speech remotely and, and they they talked about their homerooms and one of their homerooms was named after Mike Collins. And they said, yeah, but you know, we had to change. We, we, we actually turned that into a cafeteria. So we don't have a Collins homeroom anymore. And I said, well, you need to change that. I said, if you change it and actually come up with a Collins homeroom or building, I'll come out there. And I did, they did. Oh, I did. Wow. And And that was fantastic. But what that led to was a relationship with the university of Sunderland. And so we've got, Uh, Some very substantial programs that we're really, really excited about rolling out with the University of Sunderland and City Council there. And I think, well, we've already started rolling some things out. Back in October, we had kind of a kickoff event in Sunderland, and we're really excited about the things we're going to be sort of rolling out over the summer so that we're going to have some big programs in in next fall. And I, I guess from what little I understand of English geography, if we can make it work in Sunderland, it's... You can make it work, I would say, anywhere, but I mean, it's it's, a, it's obviously an area that is not quite as prosperous as London, and so it's a little bit more of a struggle, and I just, I have to tell you, the degree of support we're getting from them is fantastic. They have a wonderful teaching college there. We've always kind of had a very strong affinity for the UK. I mean, that's really kind of where Alden Artspace started, but we're we're very excited about some of the things that we're going to be um, rolling out in in the Northeast, which is going to be kind of cool.
1: That's uh, that's blowing my mind a little bit. That <laughs> anyway, Andrew Lee, thank you very much for being here. This has been a pleasure. Hey, uh, world, hold on to your head. I'm
0: turn you upside down. Wow, that was a lot of fun and really uh, inspiring. I got very sentimental. Because uh, Andy brought up uh, Mike Collins a few times, it's really cool that uh, he felt so uh, deeply about Collins and really wanted to honor his legacy.
1: It kind of surprised me. It, it I know, really surprised me because obviously you you hear that the Apollo Eleven astronauts weren't necessarily best friends. They didn't not like each other, but they weren't necessarily best friends. And so to hear the son of one speak so highly about one of the others was I, I don't know why I'm surprised, but it was it was surprising uh and really nice to hear
0: yeah it was very touching uh, i'm surprised but in a way i'm not because i think everybody loved mike collins so yeah. i don't i i never have heard anybody say man that damn mike collins screwed me <laughs> over or something something nuts you know i've never heard that so but uh, other than that though uh it was really awesome to hear about sort of the art initiatives they're doing because uh i know there's a lot of people out there who just they love space flight You know, and and they love to talk and sort of nerd out about spaceflight, but they might be more of a artist or, for example, you're a musician, you know, or they might be a writer like, you know, I am. I like engineering stuff, but it's not something I chose to do for a living. You know, I I like math and sciences, but I'm aware that's not something that everybody has a natural aptitude at. Not everybody is into that. And that's fine. You know, I don't really judge that. So um, I love that they're sort of doing something, you know, with art to sort of promote that interest and relating it to education, because, and like Andy and Lee brought up, you know, art is something that is very important with critical thinking, and oh boy, here's me getting on my soapbox. I don't know what the situation is like in the UK, but in the United States, a lot of art initiatives have been sort of shut down or just scaled back. And I understand there has to be an emphasis on certain types of curricula, like, you know, math, science, whatever. I understand that. But I think there are different types of intelligences. And I think the arts are incredibly important for critical thinking. And we people just don't think about that. You know, they think, well, I want my kid to be good at math. Well, that's great. But part of being, you know, an analytical person is being able to visually look at things as well or hear things a certain way or maybe express them verbally a certain way and i really love the message that they have
1: it's something that clay anderson spoke about when we had him on the podcast and he talks about it a lot in his podcast as well astronaut um astronaut clayton anderson about having a rounded education and how important that is and it's If you just focused on maths and science and didn't look at arts as well or other things like PE and things like that, physical education and and all these other things, you don't get a well-rounded person. And, and, And that's a bit of a danger. The more you expose people to everything, the more chance you've got of enabling someone to reach their full potential. Even if that full potential is still within maths and science, you're helping that person by opening their eyes to other things
0: when you expose somebody to a lot of different disciplines, I think it also kind of improves their emotional intelligence as well and how Mm. they deal with like different types of people, different teams. And, you know, I think that's also really important. Uh, Like what Andy said, you know, we're going to need baristas in space. He's right. You know, we're going to need people to, you know, to cook in space. Cooking is a important skill. You know, I think people hear that and they think, oh, you know, that's a low no, that's not a low skill thing at all. I don't know how to cook. I, cooking is really difficult, you know, the, to cook well is really difficult. Like, I can cook, but you don't want to eat any of that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but my point is, like, we're going to need people with all sorts of different skills once we go out to deep space, once we try to habitate, you know, Mars and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So he's absolutely right. Yeah, I, I love that focus that they have and how they're looking at that because we're going to have to look at it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it's worth giving a shout out to Sophie Williams as well. She was mentioned quite a few times in this interview. Uh, She was instrumental in setting up Audrin Art Space and she was actually with us for the interview but doesn't like microphones, which is completely understandable. Anyway, she's doing great work and I just wanted to give her a shout out. I've also got to talk about ShareSpace, which was mentioned a couple of times, and Andrew has asked me to mention that the foundation has transitioned to using the Aldrin Family Foundation name exclusively. Uh, the name change happened a while back, but as with any transition, rebranding can be quite difficult um, and as always if you're one of our Patreon subscribers you can watch the full unedited video of our interview with Andrew and Lee in our members area which is patreon.com forward slash space and things and if you've not checked it out yet please do because that really does make a massive difference to us and I'll be putting links to Aldrin Space and the Aldrin Family Foundation within our show notes which you can find on spaceandthingspodcast.com And the earth right out our with And so on to this week's news stories. We'll start off with the normal stuff. There have been five launches this week. Two in China, one from California, one from Florida, and one in New Zealand. Uh, If you want more details on the payloads of any of these launches, or you'd like to watch videos, then as always find our show notes. Uh, As I mentioned, spaceandthingspodcast.com. And there's also an archive for old episodes too. So if you're listening at a different time from when this episode was published, you can still easily find all
0: the information about any of the news stories we talk about. On Mars, the Ingenuity helicopter has completed its 20th flight. It flew for 130.3 seconds and covered 391 meters or 1,283 feet at a speed of 4.4 meters per second, or 9.8 miles an hour.
1: I like how you just did all those conversions in your head there. Amazing. Right?
0: Isn't that incredible, incredible math skills right there? (laughs) (laughs) It's been on Mars for a year now, and was only expected to make five flights in order to demonstrate that powered flight is possible on Mars. Well, it's truly uh, and well surpassed that now, And who knows how long it will keep going for.
1: Meanwhile, on the moon, here's a story for us. China's U-2 rover has discovered two translucent glass globules while exploring the far side of the moon. While the Apollo astronauts did bring back similar objects about the same size, those ones were mostly dark or opaque. It's thought that these objects uh, are the result of fairly recent meteor impacts, which heated anorphosite, which is a volcanic rock. And this has implications on future lunar bases on the moon, as it suggests that glass could be manufactured on the moon. And maybe that glass will be used for the restaurant window on the moon, which Andrew Orgin talked about earlier.
0: Yeah, right. I'm like, man, I get me there quickly. Um Absolutely. Yeah. Speaking of the moon, it's now been announced that the Space Launch System rocket and Orion capsule are now scheduled to roll out to the launch pad at Kennedy Space Center for testing on March 17th with a launch window for the Artemis 1 mission opening on May 7th through May 21st. Although they have also said that the launch window might be an ambitious target. The next two potential launch windows would be June 6th through June sixteen, and June 29th through July 12th. Obviously, success is the most important thing, mm. but let's hope We get to see that rocket fly soon enough.
1: Talking of success, uh, the James Webb Space Telescope is nearly halfway through its mirror alignment stages, having just completed the third of seven planned steps to align the 18 hexagonal segments of the mirror. The second and third stages were called segment alignment and image stacking and required larger movements of the main mirror, whereas the next stages will require small adjustments to take an image of a distant star and bring it to a single point. I don't know about you Emily but I'm really enjoying all these updates we're getting from the telescope. I'm really impressed with how well informed we all are and I think it's been really important in terms of making sure that the excitement about the telescope remains as high as it does. I mean it certainly has had that impact on me.
0: I, absolutely. It's been wonderful to see how well everything's going. Not that I expect I did not expect it to go badly or anything like that. But you know, you hear people just say stuff and it's like, nope, it's going right down the line which is Awesome. So that's great. Okay. Well, finally, it's really hard to know how to um, start this or or even really report this. The situation in Ukraine is horrible, and we know that the implications on spaceflight are of really minimal importance compared to the horrors of what is happening to the people there. But we're a space podcast, and we report space news. So uh, obviously, that's our focus. The situation is uh, changing quite rapidly, but the sanctions imposed on Russia obviously cause problems for the future of the International Space Station. The space station needs the full cooperation of Russia and America to remain in orbit as Russia provides the fuel and thruster capability, which is required for regular reboost of the station to higher altitudes, Uh, whereas the U.S. provides the gyroscopes, which keep the station stable and the solar panels that power the station. Uh, The chief of Roscosmos, uh, Dmitry Rogozin, I think that's how his name is pronounced, has tweeted a number of uh, what can almost be considered threats in response to the sanctions imposed on Russia, accusing the U.S. of attempting to destroy the partnership. Uh, NASA has made statements saying that they are continuing to operate the space station alongside Russia and other partners, but it is weighing its options for the future. The partnership causes a lot of potential PR nightmares for the U.S. right now. Most obviously is the fact that astronaut Mark Vandehey uh, is still slated to come back to Earth on a Soyuz spacecraft next month in April. If the war is still going on at that time, how will it look to the world? And with airspace to Russia being closed by a number of countries, will it even be possible to get the NASA personnel required close to the landing site? Uh, While that's normally going on in Kazakhstan, the personnel, including the medical staff, they normally have to travel through Russia to get there.
1: Um, Away from the ISS, there are implications with launch services as well. A number of rockets use engines which are made in Russia and Ukraine. Uh, As a result of the Crimean crisis in 2014, some steps had been made by the US to limit its exposure to supply chain problems. But There are rockets which will be affected by this, including Northrop Grumman's Antares rocket and ESA's Vega rockets, uh, to name two. There's other things to do with launches as well. There's a British company called OneWeb who are due to launch satellites on March the 4th on a Soyuz rocket in Kazakhstan. Uh, It's currently unclear what will happen here. But... OneWeb is a company that's had financial problems in the past. Will they want to cancel this launch? Can they get the satellites back if they do? Have they already paid uh, for this service? What will it look like to the world if they allow Roscosmos to launch their satellites right now? It's such a complex situation. Uh, Russia have also halted launches of the Soyuz rocket from French Guiana over these European sanctions. This has implications on the Galileo Navigation System, which is the European version of GPS, which is due to become active this year. There are currently 12 satellites already in orbit for this system, but the Soyuz rocket was supposed to deliver two more on April 6th from French Guiana. So what will happen there? Who knows? It's also been announced that the European ExoMars rover will now not launch its plan in September aboard a Russian rocket. And there are a lot of other implications with this mission as russia are involved with providing other services for
0: it so essentially there are a lot of unknowns here and it's really difficult to predict what will happen um there are a lot of questions that a lot of different companies and organizations need to ask themselves
1: i also think emily it's worth bringing up at this point you've written an article this week uh about where to get your news about all this stuff from and who to trust because there's so much disinformation out there you put it on your medium blog and i will post a link to it but I, th- I thought that was a really good point because thank you there's so much information out there isn't there and not all of it is is right
0: yeah like i heard a few days ago that the um an uh, i think it's a 225 aircraft i think that i got it right the large Ukrainian plane that carried the Baron orbiter back in the day. It's also done a lot of other things than that. I, I believe it's been a cargo plane and it's done a lot of functions. Well, we were hearing that it got destroyed during the battles, and I'm now hearing that it might be okay. So if this whole situation is really in a lot of flux. So it, it's kind of hard to know, okay, what is right out there? So it's one of those situations that you, we're getting updates like by the minute and it's all changing. So it's very much up in the air Right now,
1: absolutely. Um, by chance, I happen to be reading a book called "The Geopolitics of Space Exploration" by Marcelo Spagnuolo, and it actually covers a lot of this, and to an extent, almost predicted some of what we're seeing. Um, I'll put a link to that in the show notes, as well as links to all lots of other articles which go into detail about what's happening. But as we said, it's changing really quickly. Hopefully, we've given you an overview of some of the the main issues. But yeah it's it's difficult to know how this is going to play out for sure.
0: you know, I think it's a wonderful time for human spaceflight because I think we finally recognize that it's not worth going unless we go together, that it's important to not turn away any innovative idea, that everyone has a role and everyone has a place at the table as we move forward. If we're gonna go for all humanity and to support humanity's love for exploration, then we have to do it with all humanity. And I think we're seeing that as our plans unfold for going back to the moon, seeing the first woman walk on the moon in 2024, and just recognizing that we have to go together if we're gonna go and we're gonna do it right. And that's it for this week. Uh, Thank you for listening and thank you for your support. We've just surpassed 30,000 downloads and last week was our best week ever. Um, If you're someone who has been hitting the share button, we really appreciate it. Of course, a massive thank you to our Patreons and those who purchase our merchandise or donate to us as well. Uh, That's really a wonderful thing and thank you.
1: It really, really is. Thank you so much. Anyway, until next week, don't forget, in space, no one can hear you stream. Space and Things has been brought to you by And Things Productions.